Hey there. Thanks for joining us at Risen King Church for our weekly podcast. We pray you meet God and know that you are loved today. Be sure to visit us at risenking.life to take all of your next steps and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Welcome to the 730 service. It's going to be fun to see what time the 1030 people show up at. We've been uh, looking at this idea of what it is to be spiritually discerning. Last week, what we were really uh, hammering home is that spiritual discernment is spiritual sightedness. It's the journey from spiritual blindness to spiritual sight. And what we looked at particularly was a miracle story of Jesus where he heals a blind man who was born blind. And those who were physically sighted in the story were the most spiritually blind, especially the Pharisees. And what you see with these religious leaders is they were committed to God, but they were unsurrendered in their hearts. See, you can commit to God without surrendering to God. But committing to God without surrendering your heart to God makes you dangerous. Because when God shows up, you can't see him. And you'll actually attack the work of God because you can't see the work of God. And so what we're really looking at today is that if you're going to be a discerning person in terms of things of the spirit, you have to be a surrendered person. It all begins with your spiritual formation. And so I want to show you what Jesus said about that. He says this. In John chapter 3, verse 3, would you read it with me? Read it out loud. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are. You want to say that one more time with me? Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Remember, spiritual discernment is spiritual sightedness. Jesus actually said this, I've come to give sight to the blind and to blind the sighted. That's one of his sayings. Because there are many people who are committed religiously, but who are not sighted spiritually. And so Jesus has come and he... Again, I just want to, I want to put this contrast before you. He had come and taken a man who was born blind. The man who was born blind said, no one's ever seen this before where someone heals a man born blind. He took that man, he gave him sight. And instead of people going, this is what we've been looking for, they tried to destroy the man, his family, and Jesus so that they could protect what they had invested in. You see, spiritual blindness means not that you're not seeing, you're just seeing the wrong thing. And you're protecting the wrong thing. It is so important that we begin to understand that even when you're protecting your heart, you're protecting it out of fear and pride. And if the basis of your life is fear, then you're a controlling person. 
it's the basis of your, of your heart and the motivation of your heart is pride, then you're a controlling person. So you can't see what God is doing unless you think God's doing what you're doing. And guess what? He'll never be your assistant. He'll always be God, and you always will not be God. And so Jesus says it takes a radical change in your spiritual formation just to be able to see the activity of God and then join him in that activity. So what does this mean? Well, being born again can't mean that you need more morality. It can't even mean that you mean more religion. There is nobody in the whole of the Bible who was more moral or religious than Nicodemus. He was at the top of his class. And yet Jesus looked at him and said, <laughs> you've got to be born again. So this new birth is actually a challenge to morality. It's a challenge to religion. Even if you have all the morality and religion in the world, Jesus still says you got to be born again. So it isn't for the loser. It isn't for the person who's an utter failure. It's for anybody. I've had people come to me before and they want to change their lives. So they come to church and they come to the pastor and they say, I want to change my life. I say, OK, that sounds good. What do you mean by that? Well, I'm going to give up drinking. I'm going to give up smoking. I'm going to give up strip clubs. I'm going to give up this. I'm going to give up that. And I'm sitting there going, OK, why are you coming to church then? Because everything you're doing is just a morality you're just going to change your morality. You're going to commit to a new way of living, but you're not surrendering any of your life or heart to God. You're trying to get approval from God by being a better person, but you're not becoming a Christian. See, if a person says to you, I'm trying to be a Christian, then they're not a Christian. There is no try, like Yoda says. See, either you've come to the place where you accept you're a sinner who cannot save him or herself, who cannot in any way achieve an approval from God that's sufficient to overcome your life, and you've decided that the record of Jesus is the record you're receiving, that his death, his resurrection, his perfectly obedient life is now what you will stand before God and say, I'm here in Jesus Christ. So it's not about trying. It's about receiving. But in order to receive, you have to start all over. Being born again is a fresh start, which means that spiritually, when you come to Christ, you're a baby. You have the sight of a baby. You have the heart of a baby. You have the hearing of a baby. And so you have to be trained and you have to begin to grow. Now, here's the beauty of getting born again. This is one of the great theologians of Princeton in the 19th century he said this. The soul that sees, that gets spiritual sight, though it may, not, it may have not discerned it before, it now discerns in the truths of God a beauty and an excellence of which it had no conception until now. In the particular truths brought before the mind, there is a new perception of truth, the beauty and excellence 
of truth. See, to be born again is to actually see things as they really are and to see the beauty of the truth of God and the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ. What being born again does is it gives you two new things in your heart. The first is it gives you a new sensibility. In other words, a spiritual sensibility. And the second thing is a spiritual identity. And what what I'm trying to say to you is by nature, even if you're a proud, strong, you know, macho person or independent person or whatever, at the root of every human being is fear. Any angry person is a fearful person. Any anxious person is a fearful person. Any depressed person is a fearful person. If you're easily disappointed, you're fearful. If you're easily offended, you're fearful. Which really lets me off the hook in case you get offended right now. Because it's all on you, not me. But why are we so fearful? Because we're so prideful. Because we have such a broken ego. Because we have such a bruised sense of self. When you say to me or I say to you, you hurt my feelings, there's no way you hurt my feelings. Feelings can't be hurt. What you did is you had a different view of me than I wanted you to have. And you didn't didn't hurt my feelings, you hurt my ego. You hurt my view of myself. And this is one of our greatest fears. This is why we, we rebel. We rebel because we figure out, hey, I can't make them happy. I'm just going to do what I want to do. Or we people please. I'm going I'm to figure out how to make them like me. I saw a, a movie and a guy goes to this girl, I'll be whatever you want me to be if you'll just love me. But you see, if he's being whatever she wants him to be, he's not actually experiencing love. She's loving a false self, not a real self. Come on, this is pretty good stuff. I know it's early, but. So here is why we need to be born again. It's because unless there's a change at the center of your being where it's no longer fear and pride, but it's actually love and humility, you understand when the Lord says, here's what I require of you. Love me with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. If you're fearful and prideful, if it's a negative fear and it's an unhealthy pride, guess what? You can't love the Lord because it's all about you. But you're really dangerous in the second thing because you can't love your neighbor as yourself because you're too busy trying to get love for yourself. And this is why the the end of the commandments, they're all about loving your neighbor. You can think about it. Is it loving to hate somebody so much you want to kill them? Is it loving to be unfaithful to your spouse? Is it loving to use somebody for your own sexual, uh, you know, satisfaction and just discard them? Is it loving to lie to somebody, even if you're lying to yourself and saying I'm doing it for their good? Isn't it more loving to speak the truth in love? Is it loving to envy what somebody else has so much that you begin to want to get rid of them so that you can have it? I just explained the last five commandments. Come on. (laughs) 
You understand, it's not God saying, I want to take something away from you that's good for you. He's saying, at the root of your issue is a heart that's full of fear and pride. So you must be born again so that you can have a heart of love and humility. And you understand something, you will never have humility till you no longer think you need pride. Because until you know you're protected, till you know you're provided for, your ego will send pride out to procure all your needs. And that will leave you spiritually blind. See, you can, you can redo your morality, but if you're not reborn in your humanity, you're still a sinner lost. And the best you'll ever do are splendid vices. Because the motivation still won't be about the glory of God. It'll be about the meeting of your own needs. And as long as it's all about you, then the sensibility is not spiritual. It's unspiritual. It's worldly. It's fleshly. I don't know if you've noticed this, but anybody who's worldly and fleshly is not a great husband, not a great father, not a great brother, not a great friend. Because it ends up that if it's all about me, I only allow you in my life as long as you make me feel what I want you to make me feel. And as soon as you stop making me feel the way I want you to make me feel, I get rid of you. See, what we're talking about in this sensibility is that your mind is illuminated. Not dulled, but illuminated. And your heart is moved in such a way that spiritual truth that you might have heard before but didn't make sense to your mind, it certainly didn't touch your heart. Now you're like, this is like life to me. St. Augustine would say that the mark of a truly born again, truly regenerated Christian is that, that the heart has now reordered what it loves. That the heart, apart from Christ, is a disordered heart with disordered loves. But the heart, when you're born again, you see, instead of putting you first, now you know he's your protector. You know he's your provider. You know he's your, the lover of your soul. And you say, I can put him first because he'll always put me first. You know, the only way to get rid of fear is to have something bigger than what you're afraid of. You have the ultimate bodyguard, the omnipotent, the everywhere present, the all-knowing God has bound himself to your life. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? These are simple biblical truths. But when you start to think, wait a minute. I'm living out of fear and pride, and the God of the universe has said he'll never leave me. He's bound himself to me, and he's for me, not against me, and nothing in this world can separate me from his love, not even death. What am I afraid of? See, what happens is even if you become a Christian and you're born again, you have to learn to access this new sensibility. No one is born with highly trained spiritual sensibility. We're born with very little 
understanding of this new sensibility. And we're born often with very, very disordered loves in our heart. Here's, here's what is a great statement on discernment. Discernment in its fullness takes a practiced heart. You understand why? You're born again, so you're born a baby. So in order to become spiritually sensi sensible, you have to practice. You can have, you, this is given to you as a gift, but you have to practice it. And then the idea is you fine-tune your heart to hear the Word of God, the singleness of mind to follow that Word in love. It is a gift from God, but not one drop from the skies fully formed. It is a gift cultivated by a prayerful life and the search for self-knowledge. It is one thing to say, I believe that God loves me. And then it's just in your mind. While the main thing that's driving you is you want somebody's love, you want this man, you want this woman to love you, to approve of you, to be pleased with you. Or the things that's driving you is I've got to have a successful career or I've got to have everyone love me because, you know, because I'm going to have enough status or I'm going to have enough money or I'm going to have enough position or whatever it is. And you think I'm driven to this so that I can get that. I see what, what's happening is so many people will say I'm a committed Christian. But when you see that they have not experienced the beauty of the love of God so that they've surrendered fully to God, you realize they're dangerous because they're not seeing and they're still living in disordered, unpracticed heart. Some people say it this way to me. Yeah, you know, I'm a Christian. Of course, I'm a Christian. I go to church and I believe God loves me. But then you look at their life and there's love for so many other things that's more important to them. For some people, it's financial security. For some people, it's, it's romance, it's love, it's even sex. You see, if anything is more real to you than the love of God, then you're living in spiritual blindness when you could live in spiritual sightedness. And I know this is, this is kind of blunt to you, but it's really up to you. How blind you are and how sighted you are is really up to you. The Holy Spirit is putting obstacles in your path, usually called annoying people, <laughs> and annoying circumstances. You know, he loves you so much he gave you a pandemic <laughs> so that you would be forced to quarantine, so you would be forced to look at all your anxieties, so that you couldn't, and somewhat, some people, I've gotten many phone calls of people who are like, I didn't realize that marriage was like this when I'm stuck at home with this person. <laughs> I'm rethinking my whole life. Because we're so doing other things and going after other things, now we're ha having to be face to face with one another. And for others, it's been isolation from friendships and community and all that kind of thing. And instead of it being something where you go, wow, I'm seeing how broken I am. People are taking into their own hands some way to comfort themselves, distract themselves. And even some are entertaining the idea that I need to end my own life. You understand there are circumstances you get put in that do not produce these negative manifestations. They just reveal what's in there. 
So instead of going from blindness to sightedness, we just want to stay in our blindness. I mean, I've met a lot of people who are pretty committed, but not very surrendered. And so they do whatever they want to do, and then they're mad at God that he doesn't bless what they did in their rebellion, in their disobedience, in their unsurrendered. You see, God is not obligated to your unsurrendered actions. Now, he, he suffers with you because he doesn't leave you just because you're stupid. Because he said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. So in your stupidest moment, God is still there. <laughs> Some people get offended. I use the word stupid. I guess pastors aren't supposed to use the word stupid. But some things are really stupid. And I've seen some of you do it. And I've definitely seen me do it. And I think at some point you've got to be honest and go, that was really stupid. Because I'm not sure you become discerning till you realize how stupid you are. See, I can say it nice, that, until you realize how spiritually blind you are. And then you go, yeah, that's right, I don't need to be. No, we're being stupid. At some point, we've got to get kind of honest here and get real about this stuff. See, when you begin to realize that Christ in you is God's love in Christ in you, then that comes more real to your heart than the security or status that you get in a career is even more real to your heart than your family's love. That's when the loves in your heart get reordered. That's when you become really safe. And that's when you can see, in some ways, till you let the security of God become the security of your heart, you're still unstable in all your ways. You're asking God to be the bully for your control. Instead of him being the bodyguard for your weakness. Think about this season we've been in. Some of us have realized we're addicted to noise. We're addicted to activity. We're addicted to performance-oriented things where people say, oh, you're so special. Oh, you're so great. We can't do this without you. Problem is, that happens in the church, not just the world. And, and what God is trying to do is say, what happens to you when you stop and you just have to listen? What happens when you stop and it's all about receiving, not what you're giving? You know what? In every season of your life, he's going to bring you to a point where he stops everything. Sometimes it's, it, it's unexpected and, 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 and you stop and you're like, but God, I was performing so well. And the whole paradigm changes. God, I was doing so much and now I can't do so much. And then the question is, okay, is it about what you do or is it about what he's done for you? And many of us start to realize I only feel comfortable when I'm doing I only feel comfortable when there's noise. I'm pretty convinced that a lot of people have headphones in their ears and music playing all the time because they don't want to hear their own thoughts. And so, so they'd rather bust their eardrums with that because I can hear the music as they're in their, even in their AirPods or whatever it might be. 
I do appreciate those people who drive down the street and play music for all of us. <laughs> I'm being very facetious, you know that, right? <laughs> Dennis, for some reason the computer keeps falling asleep on me. I feel like I'm entertaining and it still falls asleep on me, I don't know why. So what do we need if we're to have a reordered heart? Here's four things. We need to know something at a different level than just our intellect. I had a lady come to me, and it was clear that she did not and had not experienced the love of God. So I began to talk to her about the love of God. And she says, oh, I know that. I know, I know he loves me. I'm like, no, you don't. You have some kind of a concept that he loves you, but you haven't experienced his love. Because when you experience God's love, there's no other love like it. I love Lisa, but I love Lisa better because I know the love of God. Lisa is a, for me, she's, she points to the love, but she's not the source of God's love. See, if I make her the source of love, then she has to be God to me. And she's a great Lisa, but she's not a great God. And then she will disappoint me if I'm trying to make her be the source. And then I'll manipulate her and control her because I'm trying to make her the source. The best thing for Lisa is that I discovered the source of love, which is God's love. And because I draw from the source, then I can give the love of God to Lisa. And I can receive from Lisa the love God has for me that's being channeled through her. But if you have it another way, friends, and you're trying to draw love from somebody other than God, and all you have is an intellectual knowledge of God's love, then the people that you're trying to draw the love from are actually your gods. And they will always disappoint you. We need time, which God has kind of forced upon us. We need time to listen to the still, small voice that is qualitatively different than any other. Do you understand? When God says, listen to me, he says what? Be still. Know that I'm God. Jesus said it this way. My sheep hear my voice. They listen to me, he said. And they follow me. In other words, you can't have a surrendered life if you can't distinguish the voice of your Savior from the voice of anything else in your head. My own feeling is if you have many voices in your head, you need deliverance. Because they're not your voice and they're not God's voice. And I want my head to be the safest place in the world to me. I want to hear my voice and I want to hear my Savior's voice. But you have to get still enough and maybe be around people who know how to help usher in his voice. But you need to be somebody who surrendered to the voice of God. You know, why is that important? Because you need, to, you need to hear those things that cannot be taught by human wisdom, but are taught by the Spirit. We need concrete ways of giving up control so that God can be more in control of our lives and in the leadership of our lives. It's listening to this kind of voice of God and presence of God that takes you from being just like anybody else in this world to a person 
who's rooted and grounded in the victory of Jesus. Do you understand? It is, it is the will of Jesus that you overcome a pandemic. It is the will of Jesus that you overcome racial injustice. It is the will of Jesus that you overcome financial difficulties. It is the will of Jesus that you overcome physical difficulties. Jesus didn't say, sometimes I heal. Jesus says, I am the healer. Mm -hmm. He is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord who heals you. But you got to get into that place where you actually know his presence. And you know what he's doing. And you know his voice. Four things there. Now here's three more. I only have two points, but I have 50 points underneath them. <laughs> what does this mean? Well, it means there's a difference between reading the scripture for just utilitarian purposes. I've met people who they just read to get knowledge, get more information, like, a, like they Google the Bible. I've seen people who read just so they can teach a lesson. Or I see people who read just to prove a point. That is not engaging the scriptures for spiritual transformation. In other words, when you have the Bible before you, it is a living letter to you from the love of God. And on every page, he breathes his love and his presence and his power. But you've got to sit before him because he's not going to give it to you easy. Here's the thing. Have you ever known a real love that came easy? I mean, if, you were, if somebody really loves you, they pursue you. If somebody really loves you, they sacrifice for you. If somebody really loves you, then they can give all that they are to you. But you have to, in some way, say, I want that. I know this is a silly illustration, but I, I, I've preached over a lot of the world. And I've gone into places and I'm like, oh, my goodness. This sucks because the people are so dead. I'm like, please, please, Lord, don't send me to those dead people or else give me breath to give the dead bones life. But I, I gave my best and it was like hitting a wall. It was like every word I was saying was going through a filter of death. And I just went home defeated. I went home just so so upset. And then I've gone to other places. And, and, and I remember one time I was in this place in Africa. And, and it was the worst possible conditions. It was really warm. There were hundreds and hundreds of people. And I was being translated into five languages at the same time. So there's, there's noise going up. You know, I'm having to speak a translated sermon. And so you speak one sentence, they translate. Four more people translate it. And I'm sitting there going, there's no way possible that this is going to work. But the Spirit of God showed up. And those people were at the edge of their seat on every word. Do you know what that does to you? You're like, let's go. Yeah. And when that happens, you don't go, let me give you the superficial stuff. When that happens, you're like, let me give you everything I have. Yes. Do you understand when you go to your bottoms? Oh, gosh, I don't know if I really want to read it. Okay, I'm going to pray. Now I lay me down. Oh, no, it's the morning. Now, now I'm up. <laughs> and God goes, okay, you're going you're gonna to receive as much as you've given. 
He's saying, I've laid it all out here for you. You can have it all. But he also, and he says, it's all love, it's all truth, it's all beauty. But you don't value it, so you don't go for it. See, if you're born again, you have a sensibility now that says, this is where I find truth. This is where I find beauty. This is where I find love. This is where I find my life. So I'm going to the scriptures, not with a drowsy spirit, but alive. Or else maybe you're not born again. There's a difference, you see, when you start approaching scripture and you say, I'm going to figure out what God is going to do about my marriage. And you've got this agenda. It's interesting how we, the puny little people, set the agenda for the omnipotent God. That seems kind of dumb, doesn't it? Wouldn't it be smarter if you opened your ears and your eyes and said, God, what's your agenda for my life? Don't you think he'd probably resource his agenda and maybe not resource yours? He might even be opposed to your agenda. I, I mean, we already have Satan as an enemy, but some of us are stupid enough to have God as an enemy, too. Because what does it say? He opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. So when you go and say, here's my agenda, guess what you're being? It's not humble. And there's a difference between knowing the biblical stories and then finding your in the story. I know this may be strange to some of you. Some of you intuitively do this, but when you're reading the Bible, you put yourself in there. You are the Apostle Paul. You are Luke. You are, you know, you're David. I mean, I have never wanted to be Goliath in the David and Goliath story. Are you tracking with me in this? See, until you engage like that, you're not training your heart. You're resisting with your heart. A sleepy devotional does nothing for you except show you don't know him. Here's what I mean. When you start getting intimate with God, he's going to show up. He's going to illuminate your mind. He's going he's to glory in your heart. Are you squirming? Is that what's happening? <laughs> Dietrich Bonhoeffer said it this way. There's a wonderful power of clarification, purification, and concentration upon the essential thing in being quiet. Silence before the word leads to right hearing and thus also to right speaking of the word of God at the right time. Much that is unnecessary remains unsaid, but the essential and the helpful thing can be said in a few words. It isn't that. See, you never have to be dishonest with God. If you are worried about something, take it to God. But don't tell him how to fix it. Because you don't know how to fix it. And you don't know what he has planned and what he's weaving to bring a solution that's far greater than anything you've ever thought of. It's so amazing to me to watch over the course of my life where I just knew it had to be at this time, it had to be in this way, and I was absolutely wrong. 
Are you tracking with me a little bit in this? So the new birth starts to reorder the loves of your heart because these things that you might have read in the Bible, that you've heard about all your life, but were nothing but abstraction, they become realities. But that's just the heart. There's an awful lot of truths in the Bible that just don't make sense to the unillumined mind, to the person that's not born again, in other words. So I had a guy come to church for a while. His wife made him come. And, uh, and he would sit there and he'd squirm, squirm the entire service. And it was funny because, you know, I don't, with the lights like this, I can't see most of your faces that well. But I could always see his. And because and, he was just like grimacing and, and, you know, just stuff happening. And he's squirming in his chair and all this stuff is happening. And, and I have a little ADD, so I was a little distracted by it. And, 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 and all of a sudden, one day, he just kind of disappeared. And he ran away from here. And, uh, and, he, and, and his life went boom, down the drain. And he stumbled into a church. And on that day, it was just a random church he went into. And on that day, he, he heard the gospel. And he gave his life to Christ. And he came back here to this church, and he gave a testimony. And he said, he said, now when I come to church and I hear what Mike's saying, it all makes sense to me. It touches me deeply. I understand it. He said, but before I was born again, it was like the teacher in the Charlie Brown cartoons that was going wah, 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 wah. <laughs> you see, if it's wah, wah, wah to you, you need to be born again. I mean, I can give you information. I can give you truth. I can, I, I, I can tell pretty good jokes at times. But only when your spirit has been born of the spirit of God can you see spiritual truth. Amen. Only then do you have spiritual sensibility. Here, let me, let me. I got to finish up, but I want to I want to bring this point home really heavy. So I've been in I've been in numerous uh, interviews over the course of my ministry uh, where we're interviewing new ministers. And we're seeing if they're qualified to serve as pastors or preachers. And so normally. You hear this in the testimony, because they have to give a testimony of their experience, their Christian experience. They'll go, you know, I went to church all my life, but I never heard the gospel. And you hear this over and over and over again. And then when I was in the military or when I was in college or whatever it was, and then I finally heard the gospel and then I got saved. And there was a story where this was happening in a, a, a denomination so frequently, and this older minister began to explain something so important. He said, when I was a young man, I went to church my whole life, but I never found the Lord till I was in the military. And he said, I went to the chaplain who led me to the Lord, and I said to the chaplain this, you know, I don't know why nobody has ever told me the gospel before. This is an older minister telling his story. He said, what I really don't understand is why Martin Luther didn't understand the gospel. 
Now, if you don't know who Martin Luther is, he was, the big, he was the, the, basically the catalyst for the whole Protestant Reformation. And he's the man who actually turned the Catholic Church who had gone away from the gospel and brought the church to the gospel. So this statement is, is kind of audacious, but he, he's saying, I, I really don't understand why Luther didn't understand the gospel. So the chaplain looks at him and said, Martin Luther didn't understand the gospel. What makes you say that? He said, well, I took a course. And I read parts of this book he wrote on Galatians, and there was no gospel in it. Well, if you know Galatians, Galatians is the gospel. So the chaplain said, you know what? Now that you've been born again, why don't you go back and look at the book? He said he went back to the book. He was the kind of person that would highlight and underline things. So this older pastor, he's telling a story. He says, I would open the book and I started going through it. And on every page, he said, almost every page underlined and highlighted. There was the gospel. How did he conclude this story? He said, right now, there are young men and young women growing up in my church under my preaching. And they're not hearing the gospel because you have to be born again even to see the kingdom of God. See, I can, I can put the gospel out there, but if you don't have the sensibility that comes from being born again, it'll just sound like wah, wah, wah. You need this. You need not to be religious. I don't care how committed you are. You have to surrender your life, and I'm asking you to do it right now. Surrender your life, not to what you can do for God, but to what Jesus has done for you. Church, would you stand with me this morning? I think it would be a a mistake for me to pass over this moment and not offer up an opportunity for us to be born again. In Romans, it tells us that all of us have sinned, that all of us fall short, that all of us are in need of a savior. And that because of sin, the wages of sin, the actual payment for sin is death. And so because we have this scenario of sin and death, we need a savior and all of us need it. And so Romans also tells us that if we believe in our heart and we confess with our mouth, that we will be saved. Church, it's a receiving of this free gift. God loved you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to take that payment so that the wages that you receive wouldn't be death, but that it would be life. So if you wanna pray this prayer with me this morning, if you're watching online, let's pray it together. It's very simple. I'm just gonna ask the whole place, if you're watching online, that you would just repeat after me these words, if you're willing. Repeat after me, Father, I come to you this morning and I say that I need you. I recognize that I need a savior. I confess that I can't live this life without you. And so I give my life to you this morning. We know that you died for our sins, 
but that in you we can have life. Father, I thank you for the new life in this room. I thank you for the new life for those that are watching online. Father, I thank you that it is your desire that we come into relationship with you so that we can have life and so that we can hear your voice, so that we can have a new sensibility, so that we can have a new identity. And so we receive that this morning in Jesus' name. Now, church, here's the beautiful thing. If you prayed that prayer this morning, it would be awesome if you could tell somebody about it, if you could tell a friend, if you could tell a pastor, if you could just let somebody know that you made this decision today. And maybe today wasn't the first time you made this decision, but I encourage you to do what Pastor Mike suggested in this last illustration. Go back and read the scriptures. See the new insight. Use the new eyes that you've received this morning. Listen with the new ears you received. He wants you to hear his voice. He wants you to see him. He wants to be in relationship with you.